On episode 197 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll learn the top 10 lessons from Tennis Summit 2021. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everyone, this is Mirban Iranshad and I'm back and more well-rested than the previous couple weeks. Uh, It was definitely a really fun Tennis Summit 2021 last month, a couple of weeks ago, and super successful. We had over 11,000 people attend the online conference that I host every year to help amateur tennis players improve their tennis game. And uh, I just wanted to bring you a recap of the top 10 lessons that I learned from the summit. And uh, we had, if you haven't heard yet, over 40 amazing coaches on there teach lessons on strategy, fitness, technique, and the mental game, and even equipment as well. And so what I did was I um, I just went through all of these lessons and picked to 10 of the best lessons or pieces of advice that I think would really help you all improve based on what was on the summit. So I actually recorded this with Peter Freeman live. Uh, So that was a lot of fun, and we got some great questions along the way, but I am going to present that to you right now on the podcast so that you can check it out and hopefully pick a couple, at least one that really resonates with you, and then work on that because uh, just so many amazing pieces of advice, and I'm so excited to implement a lot of what I learned in particular. I'm going to change up my workout routine based on uh, some of the information that I gathered from the presenters. Uh, shout out to Dean Hollingworth, Satoshi Yochi, Nathan Martin, Dominic King, uh, just everybody who uh, was on during that fitness day um, and on the summit just overall. So again, uh, thanks a lot for tuning in and I really hope that you enjoy this episode. So without further ado, here are my top 10 lessons from Tennis Summit 2021. So Peter and everybody, the first summit lesson that I have that was really illuminating was from Coach uh, Jorge Capistani. And so what he brought to my attention through his session, uh, I need a couple, but one was on uh, nerves uh, and managing your energy levels. The, the tip here was to level up your match play with pressure drills. And, you know, what's what was very interesting is that he brought up the point that we do not really spend much time at all in pressure situations if you compare, you know, the number of points uh, of those pressure situations to just our normal match play and our practice. And, you know, it's common, just like with everything else, if we're not practicing in the environment to which we want to succeed in, then we're not going to be able to perform, you know, well most of the time, you know, in that situation. So uh, a great way to increase the amount of 
practice in these pressure situations is in practice is to uh, introduce accountability and a pressure situation. So um, one very simple way to practice this is by uh, performing one of his drills, which uh, I believe is called 30 all. Um, but basically what it is, is, is you play a full set. You could, there's variations of these two, actually. An even better one is to start at four all, 30 all, okay? And mm-hmm. so immediately you're starting in a, in a very intense situation uh, where every single point is extremely pivotal. So let's say I play against Pete. We started four all in games. We started 30 all each game. And there, there you go. So that's a great way to, uh, to practice under pressure. And so there were a bunch of others, and I highly encourage you to, to check out uh, his session. Or I, I have an announcement later on that that I'll mention. But that was a great session about uh, just just creating. Uh, situations for yourself to practice more often under pressure. And also he made a point that it's interesting, the people who do not do well in these games, they don't like the games and they just, they think it's stupid and everything, but that's really indicative that you need even more practice in these games, uh, in these pressure games. So Pete, what do you think about increasing pressure in your practices through these pressure type drills? Yeah, I think a lot about what you just said. I mean, first of all, just starting off with Jorge. Jorge, I always I call him the Babe Ruth of these like summits because he always knocks out of the park. Um, if you guys hadn't watched his, uh, make sure you watch his if you still have a chance um, because um, he is a master pro USPTA NPTR. And when you watch his presentations, you always know exactly why. One percent of coaches are are masters uh in in both of those and he's one of them uh as far as pressure and practice it's so important i remember as a junior uh i played my best tennis with a coach that uh, i was literally afraid to go to every practice and and uh i think that and and i'm not i'm not recommending that you know you should be afraid of your coach or you should be afraid of practice i'm not necessarily saying that that is good but i I did perform the best in that I thought the matches were the easy part, you know, and lots of times people look at the matches as the hard part. My practices were so intense um, from just physical to uh, just, I was just kind of afraid of what he might do next. So I always felt pressure. And um, when I went and played tournaments, I didn't feel much pressure. So that, you know, is maybe a coach I should have stayed with longer, you know, looking back. Uh, even though it made me uncomfortable. And that's my final thing. You mentioned being uncomfortable, actually, uh, which is kind of interesting. In our junior program, this is a cool story. We have the Georgia Bulldogs head coach. Son is in it, okay? And uh, he uh, was having trouble with something. And I asked him if he knew who Eric Zier was. Eric Zier was the quarterback of the Georgia Bulldogs a while back. He didn't know that because he's a young kid, you know, and I thought he probably didn't know. And um, for a while, Eric Zier had the passing record for the most yards pass at, at University of Georgia, which is a big accomplishment because Georgia's an amazing program. And uh, I worked at Home Bank for a little while and he came in and was working at Home Bank, which is kind of weird. It was, a, it was a loan company, right? Now I think he's the voice of the Georgia Bulldogs. Anyway, long story short, He said to everybody in the room, which I will never forget, he goes, do you want to know the real secret, the real key to success? And of course, everybody's like, of course we do, right? We're all starting out. We all want to be successful. He said, get comfortable 
being uncomfortable. It's like the more you can do things that make you uncomfortable and get comfortable with that idea, you will be successful. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Such great advice there. Um, thanks so much for that, Peter. Let's see if we got some, well, we have a bunch of questions here um, and comments. Uh, let's see. 16 second cure uh, from Robert. That's really good. Um, Lynn really liked uh, the Adam Blitcher's presentation. Fantastic. Tom said he likes your picture today. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> oh man. Looking good. Hey, clean shaven too and everything. That's fantastic. Completely shave the head. Cause I don't go to the, um, not that I have much hair anyway. That's why I always have a hat on. But um, since COVID, I'm still a little bit leery to go to get my hair cut. So every time the hair is getting too yeah. long, I just smart, smart man. Question here actually from Scipio. That's a good one. Um, I agree about practicing under pressure, but it's tough to find folks to play pressure points for practice. What do you think about that, Pete? It's tough to it's tough to uh, find folks to play pressure points for practice. Well, you know, I I do agree. I think it is one of the frustrations for adults out there is that you have, and I think that's why a lot of you guys come to online stuff because you have a a junior development program, and then you have like adult clinics, right? I feel that sometimes at clubs, the adults are not taken seriously. You know, you have the clinics, but you have development for the juniors. They're not really looking to develop adults. And then a lot of the adults at clubs fall prey to that. They're like, you know, I don't really want to work on things like I'm a junior. I just want to go out there and hit some balls, you know. And and uh, I think the people that come online are looking for that next level of uh, professionalism, Care, even though, you know, we know we're not going to be pros. I mean – we all like to carry ourselves as pros or seriously. And uh, so I, I agree. It could be hard. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and you know, there, you have to find other ways of um, accountability as well. Um, so uh, you just have to be kind of creative if you can't find. Oh, well, you can do it on your own completely. I mean, that's one of yeah. the things that I do in my challenges. I, I tell people like, okay, let's make, let's try and make seven out of 10. And if you don't make seven out of 10, let's run a sprint or do some pushups, like try and get, build your own fear into it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. Um, oh yeah. Well, <laughs> Andy, we'll get to that one too. That's, that's a real good four shot one. Um, so yeah, uh, that, that's actually hilarious, Andy, because guess what my next one is here on the list. So, um, the next tip that, uh, I wanted to share that was really fantastic from, uh, from summit coach, Craig O'Shaughnessy was talking about the first four shots. And a lot of us have this, um, I guess, maybe myth that we believe, which is that consistency is the key. And and yet, you know, obviously, yes, like it's it's very good to be consistent. But um, the problem is that uh, the problem with that is that a lot of us have been brought up to practice this very long rallies, just, just, you know, back and forth, 20, 30 shots. And we, we spend very little time on the serve and return, but I want to give you some statistics that I got from Craig. So credit to him on this, but, uh, in the 2015 Australian open, uh, he analyzed, you know, all the points and he found that 70% of the points end in zero to four shots, zero being a double fault. So, um, that right there is extremely illuminating, but then many of you may think or ask the question of, oh, well, you know, that's the pro game. What about amateurs? But then he also 
Uh, took a look at all the points played at the 2019 Tennis Congress, which has amateur tennis players there, and found mm. that uh, about 67% of the points ended in four shots or less. So it was very, very close. And uh, and yeah, so I mean, that just kind of shows you um, that, that we have to practice our serve a lot. We have to practice our return. We have to practice our serve plus one and our return plus one. Uh, and, and again, you know, that one of the other stats, which is, I mean, basically the same thing is that the average rally length in, in those uh, amateur matches there was 3.3 shots. So you need to really practice with specificity uh, for tennis in all aspects. So this this also applies to uh, to the rallies, obviously. So you want to practice, um, you know, the first four shots uh, religiously and integrate that into your training uh, more so than just these long rallies. You know, obviously it's fine if you're working on technique and rhythm and everything, but then you want to make sure that you focus on those first four shots. So any thoughts, Peter? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's one of the things, uh, again, I'm working with some juniors. We're in a high performance program and it's one of the things that I, uh, have noticed with the juniors that I really want to get a chance to talk about with them is that exact stat. And I think a lot of us do this. We feed the ball in and we just kind of work our way up into the rhythm, you know? And so maybe we're starting to move at full, like, you know, our engines are going maybe around shot five, six, or seven when we're in our rallies, and we're just practicing cross courts or whatever. Uh, and we're very kind of slow our first couple of balls, you know, to kind of build that rhythm. And I think that's probably the number one reason when you think about it, why so many of us miss that first shot, you know, because it's not like that at all. When you serve, you know, you serve, you land, that ball's back. You've got to be intense. You can't like gradually warm your feet once a point starts. You know, those, those first couple shots are like grabbing a bull by the horns, holding on, not falling off. And then you can maybe work yourself into a rhythm rally where most of us just start off the rally and just kind of like barely move our feet. And then as we hit a couple of balls, we'll notice that we had a great rally. We're all of a sudden, sudden uh, grunting and moving better. But in a match, get that opportunity. It's already over before all that stuff happens that you're doing in your practice. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Thanks, uh, thanks for that, Pete. Let's see. Uh, got a question here, Ralph. How's it going, Ralph? With the first four shot approach, is it more important to hit a stronger serve, or is it better to just get first serves in to pressure the returner? What do you think about that, Pete? I think it's really a lot of this is knowing your game, you know, and yeah, if you hit a big serve, uh, how often, what percent would it be going in? What percent can you make your first serve in? And what's the reward? Is the ball definitely not, you know, if you, if you serve a bomb, do you have an 80 or 90% chance of it not coming back? Or is it 40 or 50? You know, if it's only 40 or 50, get more first serves in. If you can serve like Roddick at your club, if you can be like the local Roddick at your club, then maybe it's worth it to go for more risky serve. Um, but the the thing about it's just the mindset. You know, if, when I'm even playing somebody who has an average serve, and let me know if you guys are different. When I'm playing somebody who has an average serve, a serve that doesn't blow me away off the court, their first serve, my goal is always to get the ball back in and get into a rally. Their second serve, my goal is always to attack. 
even with somebody that's got an average serve. So you don't want to give your opponent that mindset too often when you're serving, like I'm attacking. You, you want them to be thinking, oh man, I'll just be happy if I get into a rally. That's what I usually think about when I'm returning a first serve. I can just get in a rally, I'm happy. Second serve, I want to I want to take it to you. So got to get more first serves in. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with that, Pete. Thank you for that. Uh, let's see. So let me see if there's any, I know there were some questions up here actually. Um, Okay, so Don, um, can you talk about the windshield wiper? So, Pete, this kind of reminds me of when you went through your—I uh, forgot the exact name. Was it the for, uh, upgrade your forehand? Was it where you got yes. these lessons from incredible people, uh, Rick Macy, and was it? Yep. Did you get one from Jeff too? Jeff Saldenstein, uh, Mark Kovacs, and Jeff Greenwald. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, anything on the windshield wiper about that, or just anything else from your coaching? Any comments? Well, I mean, a lot of it, first of all, windshield wipers great for relaxation. You know, that, that was one of the things that Rick had me do. He had me actually finish below my knees in one drill. And he's not saying that that's what you're always going to your forehand, but he felt like I could use more relaxation. So certainly doing that helps, but it also really helps your shape. You know, a lot of times when I'm thinking about windshield wiper shots, I might be thinking about a Tospin lob. I'm definitely thinking angle returns. And uh, I, I'm also thinking about a short approach shot. Sometimes when I get a short ball approach shot and I need that ball to go up and down fast, I'm thinking about a windshield wiper follow through. So, you know, that windshield wiper finish should lots of times match your intent for your shot. Yeah, awesome. Th thank you for that. Uh, let's see if we have anything else. Um, <clears throat> oh, Lisa. So how do you not over attack the second serve and miss more than make that return? So, um, Pete, uh, you can go ahead or I can go ahead, whatever you want. Why don't you go and, uh, yeah. I'll follow up if you haven't mentioned anything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I think with this, like the, the biggest thing in, in talking with a lot of great coaches is, you know, giving yourself still a big target, you know, you don't want to necessarily go for the sidelines or like the, you know, crazy angles by just going in the middle of the court and deep. Um, that's a very safe target that you can give yourself, which, you know, it, it, you can cause the opponent to then give you a short ball. So it's not about going for the winner. It's about just setting up the next shot. And uh, when you, again, hit the you know, return to the middle and deep, that's just a great target, which you're high percentage and it'll set you up for the advantage in the point. Yeah, I like that. Here's something I've been working with my student on who uh, he's got really nice strokes. He loses in his words, not my words. He loses the quote unquote pushers. So we've been working on uh, attacking. I've been hitting like powder puff serves to him and he's actually crushing the ball. And I told him like, you're crushing the ball right now. You, you, you can literally hit this shot all day long if you have the confidence to. But I also know, because I've been there myself, there are certain points in the match where you don't feel confident. You know, you don't feel like you can hit that shot. That's okay. Don't force it then. You know, like always kind of measure your confidence meter. If you feel good and you're moving your feet and you trust your shot, Go for it. Go for some knockout blows. Okay. But you're not going to be able to do that for three sets straight. That doesn't mean you have to go the flip side of that and then just turn into the pusher yourself. 
You can then do what Marabon's doing. Talk about, you know, hitting it deep up the middle. I also like when you're nervous, but you still want to apply pressure. I love chip and charts. Just hit the ball low and short. Come to the net. Lots of people don't deal with that ball well. I love what Rafa does. Rafa puts a lot of pressure on you for second serves by doing what? Lots of times Rafa even drops back more. Sometimes he goes forward, but lots of times you'll notice on a second serve, he'll drop back more and he'll hit a high, heavy top spin to the backhand. Now that's a great way to stay on offense, but play really conservative if you have that shot. Cause that most of the time you're gonna make that. That's a shot you can probably develop and make that almost all the time. And most players you're gonna play against are not gonna handle that ball very well. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Thanks for that, uh, Peter. Let's see what else we got. Lynn, amen. Adults and senior players often are not taken seriously by some pros. Fortunately, the older adults, 3.5 level I teach in clinics, love learning high-performance-oriented techniques and tactics. Excellent, excellent. Um, let's see. James, uh, Jeff Salzenstein lesson on elbow the enemy made a huge difference in my serve during this week's matches. Great seminar. Love that. Love that. That's that's huge. Great job, James. Yes, by All the right. way, I want to interrupt you. That's okay. Yes, for sure. I'm done. I just want to interrupt you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, okay. So one of the things I promised as a bonus, I will be giving a bonus away tonight if you get the lifetime access pass of my 10 favorite lessons from my tennis cons, which is very similar to Maribond's Tennis Summit. And we also talked about Tabata workouts that uh, I do. And then a lot of people started putting in the chat last time, like, I want to see the Tabata workout. I want to see it. And uh, I did say I was trying to get it done by Friday. I failed. But the good news is I got it done today. It's all edited. So anybody sign up tonight, you will now have 11 bonuses. You will have the 10 lessons from TennisCon. Besides Maribond's, all his bonuses. And you will have my Tabata workout, which I went and I felt great after I did it. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, I, I appreciate that so much. And like the value is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> let's get that out of the way. Um, so we'll talk more about that. Um, later on, uh, David, hi from Maryland. Thank you so much. Uh, hmm, I wonder where in Maryland you are. You don't have to divulge that, but, um, I'm there too. So, all right, Pete, um, let's keep going. And so number three, uh, of, of the top lessons and, you know, I, it'll help a lot more if you go to the fitness session that I'm referring to. I did a live session with Dean Hollingworth, a live workout. Yeah, he's real good. And it just really, you know, again, opened my eyes to just how powerful it is to have your workouts be tennis specific because a lot of players, uh, you know, often you just do general gym exercises, uh, you know, bench press and, and other things, bicep curls, and those are totally fine. But uh, I, I mean, the main tip is really just go to that workout and look at it. And, you know, I some some of the exercises that were my favorite that you need to integrate into your routines are lateral hops, really, really good for uh, training your lateral movement and stability. Um, and then I'll just give you like my the exercise routine that we did with Dean besides the warm up, which is crucial, um, which the first one was the squat to reverse lunge. So great for your lower body. Uh, the next one was a plank where you you move side to side with your arms and legs, wonderful for your core. Uh, and then we did a dead bug, which is brilliant for the core. We did lateral lunges, fantastic for the lower body. And then we did the single leg bridge, which is excellent for lower your lower body and your glutes. Uh, 
So um, again, you know, I'm, I'm I named these exercises just because I want to give you, you know, the best ones, the ones that we did that that are really excellent. But um, you should go back to that workout with Dean, the live workout, and check that out. And I am going to make that my workout, uh, you know, one of my workouts weekly moving forward. So I really highly you encourage you to first, you know, take a look at what is your actual workout routine and then make it more tennis specific. And then if you go to these fitness sessions, you know, whether it's the one with Satoshi Ochi, who's the head and head of strength and conditioning at USTA player development, who works with all the top American pros, or it's Dean, or it's Nathan Martin with the TRX workout, it they're going to set you up basically with like your own workout plan that you can do. And that's, I mean, that's worth a lot by its own. And like when I was listening to these presentations on the workouts, uh, all of them, but those ones, especially, I was just so excited, you know, to, to change up my routine and get a, a better, more efficient and tennis specific workout. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Any thoughts on that, Peter? I think it's great. And I'm proud of you when I see you on video doing the workout. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Yes, I, I was a little apprehensive to be honest, um, because that this particular week was obviously a rough one. You know, stayed up late, woke up earlier, so I wasn't able to work out like I normally do. So I, I made sure to hydrate. I had a pre precision hydration drink and uh, ate well, and it worked out okay. Although I have to admit, I got a little bit lightheaded on the very last uh, set. So, but survived. <laughs> so um, good job. Good job. Yeah, awesome. Uh, thank you, thank you. So let's see what else we got. Sipi, I enjoyed Dr. Kovac's workouts. Fantastic. Oh, David, Ellicott City. Very nice, very nice. Um, not too far. Uh, Jude, Dean's session was terrific. Agreed. Mark, Mirabon was a great sport in that routine. It was really helpful seeing a student slash client follow the instructions. Thank you so much, Mark. Um, all right, DC... Uh, what is the best way to get juniors to hit real second serves and stop pushing if they shy away from hitting kick serves? Um, so the man who did uh, the great slice serve session, uh, what do you think? This is, this is you know, this same question, by the way, everybody should listen to this because this goes for adults and this goes for juniors. And, um, you know, uh, the, the serve, what's interesting is with the juniors that I'm working with right now, their ground strokes are amazing. Like, wow. Uh, some, of, some, some of these kids are 13, 14. I'm afraid to hit with them. I mean, I can hit with them, but I mean, I'm just saying, like, it's, it's impressive. Very few out of the group do I go, wow, that's an amazing serve. They're, everybody's got glitches, hitches, issues, uh, and that goes for the adults too. Why is it? Because it's a technical rite of passage. It's it's like playing a video game and it's like one of the last levels or it's a level that's really tough to pass. And a lot of people are not willing to do the work to get it. Whether you're a junior DC, whether you're an adult, especially now that you have this, um, what I was able to do with the juniors on, on uh, Friday is because uh, I was kind of like, talking to the director of the program again this is a program I'm just helping out with it's i'm not running the program i said i want to help the kids with their serve so they sent me the kids and we got out the video camera and we were videoing them serving so they could see and i had them tell me what they saw their issues were uh they were able to identify a lot of the issues some of them they weren't and i showed them like oh yes okay and then we worked on that but what i stressed to them 
was they need to do a lot of work on their own. Now that you, I mean, the serve there, it, it's the excuse is it's hard. It is hard. Very few people get it. That is your excuse. But there is no excuse if you want to get it not to get it. You get the video camera every single time you serve. You have your goals. You know what your issues are. You get your basket of balls out there. You go through the drills, especially if you're doing online instruction. You should have a ton of great drills to where you're breaking it down. That's the other thing, too. These serves need to be broken down into segments and progressions. Even this one girl who had a high elbow, she had a high elbow. So I told her, I want you to stand like this. Don't do your wind up. I want you to stand like this. I want you to look at your elbow, feel it, get into the tilt, then retoss it and go just from there. Okay. I told her that's exactly what I want her to do. I get everybody started. I come back. I look at her. She's doing her full motion, elbow super high. A lot of people be told exactly what to do and still not to do it. The only thing she said was, you know, oh, I know I have a high elbow. Then I made her do it with me. She first served, first time time she did it, it was absolutely perfect. But the X factor question is, is she going to be willing to do that by herself month after month? Because just doing it once is not getting it. Rant over. Oh, I mean, not a rant, just a great uh, piece of advice. I really appreciate that. Thank you, uh, sir. I'm, I'm glad you're focused on that, though, DC. It's it's crucial. Um, just some more really, really nice comments. Um, Jude, uh, thank you so much. Mirbon was the man. I tried. Hillary, you looked in fine form. Thank you so much. Um, Robert, I enjoyed your four exercises. Thank you. Thank you. And Jerry, Maribel, what a heroic job. Amazing selection of presenters. Especially hey, enough about how great you were in your workout. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, I know. I just, I, I love seeing it. But thank you guys uh, and gals so much. Um, so let's see. Let's get to the next one then. So um, this one's kind of short, but uh, I, f- I found it to be very helpful because it's another misconception. Um, so the tip is to, to try to make the minimal amount of steps that you can to get to the ball. And I was, so I was taught the opposite as well. And I got some emails about this, uh, from, uh, some of the attendees, how they were really appreciative of this advice where, um, you know, I guess we, we were taught, uh, to, to take small little steps. And then, so you see people, players, they just take a ton of small steps from the very beginning. And then it's taken them so much more time to get to the ball where when you analyze the best athletes and, and I'm taking this from Dr. Mark Kovacs's movement session, he had some clips of, uh, I think Novak practicing Novak Djokovic. And if you look at him, you know, he's going from the, like the middle of the court or maybe even farther out to the single sideline in like two steps And it just illuminates that, you know, what you want to try to do is get to the ball, like I said, in the fewest amount of steps. And then, of course, you can make little adjustment steps if you need to. But uh, that is just a, you know, a big misconception that we were taught uh, before um, uh, in a long time or for a long time that I wanted to bring up. So uh, how about uh, have you seen this issue with your students, too, uh, that you've had to correct, Peter? Yeah, um yeah. You know, I really, uh, myself, uh, I took a lesson with Jeff Saldenstein and he was telling me I was taking too many steps and he helped me do yeah. probably the same thing Mark Kovacs is doing is getting out to the ball within a couple of steps. 
And uh, you really have to work at it. You really have to think about it. It, it, it felt awkward to me because I am used to taking maybe too many steps. Um, with that said, though, I think lots of times, you know, when you have to go to something or get out of the way of something, the move should be big and explosive, right? But as you're getting to the ball, especially I would say it's probably more balls in the middle of the court and up going up to the ball things like that is where it is important still to take those little tiny adjustment steps to be dancing to the last point of impact you know when you're going out wide to a shot it's you're not going to have time to take those little adjustment steps at the end it's usually just one last lunge to the open step open stance and then back to the middle when balls are coming more to the center it, it is important a lot of times to get out of the way and then to do like a nice little cha-cha-cha to make sure you're really set and then hit. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Th- uh, thanks for that additional help there uh, and advice, Peter. Let's see. What else? What else? Lynn, I teach second serves first. So students learn kicks and slices first, then try to perfect the first serve last. I like it. Great approach. Definitely um, good. For sure. Um, Steven, water bottle and left hand for forehand shadow swing is brilliant. Micah Babel has a very yes. cool approach. Yeah. Very good approach. Um, I actually, I remember Emma Doyle also saying that, um, so I don't know if they both said that or just Emma, but anyway, I'm glad you liked that tip. Um, let's see, Jamie taught completely different movement before. Yeah, true. Um, it's, it's happened to a lot of us, uh, movement drills, Jude. Okay. Paul, what can I have my students do to pick up their intensity? What do you do, Pete? Yeah, it's a tough one. I, I think a lot of it is self-motivation no matter what but it's creating that intense environment it's creating that environment of that you guys are a family this is what we're working on actually now that i'm working in this high performance program and this guy's always talking about family we're all family it's all about hard work it's all about accountability your energy affects everybody else's energy all things like that i think you can never i mean we can we're always looking for inspiration i think you can never just show enough inspirational videos like one video that I saw recently that really, um, you know, spoke to me is th- this guy, his uh, name was Chris Jackson Abdul Rauf. He was a basketball player. He was like, they called him the original Steph Curry. And he was a very intense worker. And he said that he was at a high school practice one time and his coach told him, they told the whole group. But again, he was probably the only one who really took it to the next level. His coach told him, Every second you guys waste in practice is one you'll never get back. 
And that lit a light bulb with him going, yeah, shoot, he's right. Like every time I'm screwing around, doing this, doing that, not giving 100%, I can't get it back. And when you're trying to get to be the best, if you want to plan the best college teams or whatever, if you want to go win the best tournaments in the area or you want to become a pro, depending on what level you want to get to, you know, there are other people out there that are actually making the most of their time. And the earlier that juniors understand that, the better they're going to get, especially it's really tough to be a junior in today's world. Another thing I, I told the kids was, you know, you guys are not competing against the you know 20 kids here today. You're not competing against the state or even the country. In today's college scene, you're literally competing against the world. The world wants to come get your college scholarship and the world is getting it. You know, you go play, if you're an American playing on the team today, you know, 89% of the scholarships in the van ride to the match are held by foreigners, not by Americans. So you've got to work your butt off if you want one of those. You sure do. You sure do. Great advice there, Pete. Appreciate that. Uh, let's see here. Let's see. One more question real quick, and then I'll go to the next one. William, how do I avoid hitting the ball long when running up for a very short ball? I mean, just some quick ones. You know, you obviously want to be using topspin. You want to take a look at your footwork. You want to make sure about your balance. Uh, any other ones, Pete? Yes, I'm looking for something I can use as a racket. You know, I'm going to use, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use the Tennis Industry Magazine. Oh, look at Rafa. Congratulations to Rafa today. So most of the time when we hit our shots, we're thinking about making contact with the ball like this, right? Boom. Well, if you run up to a short ball and you're making contact like that, you know, if you do this from the baseline, you're going to hit a nice, solid shot. You do this as you're running up to the short ball, when the court's a lot less, you're going to miss. So you want to think about like almost like skimming a glade of, of uh, grass. You know, I always visualize my racket going over the ball like that in the short court. So the ball will spin up and down on the other side. Can you guys see that? It looks a little blurry, but that's the way I think about my racket going at the ball rather than a traditional hitting through the ball as I would on a ground stroke. Love it. Thanks, Pete. It's great. All right. Let's go to the next tip. Just want to take that off. All right. Oops. Um, okay. So um, the next tip that I have for you today, and I just want to make sure I get to my list here, uh, is physical routines in between points. So I hope that you were able to catch Jeff Greenwald's uh, presentation. Uh, he always uh, does a great one for us. And you know, I'll try to make it quick, but it basically it's very important that you're able to focus and also refocus uh, in your matches. And, you know, when I was talking to, to Jeff, like the main theme of everything that he talked about was really just having focus and not letting extraneous things distract you, um, whether it's, you know, your opponent all, all of a sudden coming back from, from when you had, had a big lead lead before, or if it's your, your friends and family who are watching you. Uh, and the way to do that is to have a routine in between points. And so a quick and easy one for you all is to uh, slap your thigh, then feel your feet on the ground, and then adjust your strings. And in particular, you know, the one about feeling your feet on the ground, it's very interesting because as soon as you do something like that, or when I tried that, then it instantly just 
you know, took away all my thoughts about anything else and just had, you know, shifted my focus to, to that for that moment. And it got me just refocused. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the, the, you know, the fifth tip for me is just having these physical routines in between points, uh, and, and reestablishing normality with them is, is really, really helpful. And I highly encourage you to try it and to check out, uh, Jeff's uh, session if you can, uh, cause that's a really great one to help you with the mental game. Any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, look at look at our master today, Rafa Nadal. The master is he not the all time master of routine? Um, yeah. You know, and, and does anybody handle pressure better than him? Winning that seven five in the third to win, I don't know, was that his eleventh Barcelona trophy? Something ridiculous yeah, like, like that against the, yeah against a very hungry sissy pass, a very capable sissy pass who played pretty awesome lot of pressure and that was the thing when you watch rafa everybody makes fun of his idiosyncrasies but when you look at it he's giving himself a bunch of chores to do out there you know he he's getting his water bottles set he's obviously got his little routine that he does that everybody kind of makes fun of with this and this when this one he had a i don't know if i ever quite seen him like this he had like a definite pattern of walking to the net and that like it was it was weird it's like walking in a box to change. and yeah, i think yeah. that was a new one but obviously he does that intentionally to like those routines become more important than the match it's like he just has a way of focusing on what he's supposed to be doing at all times and so it's amazing how he does it Truly is, but it works so well. Uh, let's see. Mm -hmm. Breathe. Yes, that's also a good one, Becky. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. All right, so I'll go to the next one because uh, we still have some other stuff to cover. So <clears throat> the next lesson uh, that I took from the summit is from Louis Caillé, who's coached uh, a, a whole slew of, of world number one doubles players, uh, including Jamie Murray. Uh, he works for the LTA uh, in Great Britain. And so he said that the British double system is all about making the opponents lose by making mistakes and pressuring them. So the three main tenets of, of the British system is, number one, attempt uh, to make them attempt low percentage shots due to our positioning. The second one is to make them feel pressured through our movement. And the third one is to make them feel uncertain because of our variation. So I thought that these were three fantastic principles to follow. You know, if you have them in your mind as the, the ultimate goals, and then from that strategy, then you can implement tactics to achieve this, these strategies, you will do fantastic. You will, uh, you know, you're going to change up the way you play. You're going to cause um, chaos and confusion with your opponents. You're going to make them make the mistakes. And as we all know, uh, tennis is a game of errors, not winners. So um, I think that these principles from Louis Kaye and the British double system are really, really excellent and ones that you all, if you all follow, you'll really succeed uh, very much in, in doubles. So um, what do you think, Pete? Yeah, I mean, watching the Bryan brothers, one of the things that is just so in your face, uh, they especially like to attack the net person. And then one of the Bryan brothers will really hug that middle. 
So then that person who's volleying and getting attacked, they feel that all they can really do is put the ball back at the striker. And so they just kind of break teams down like that. You know, when you watch them play, they, they would get certain balls and then all of a sudden they'd attack the net person. And then the other brother would come on in and put that, that court positioning pressure on. And the person would either just miss the volley because they just felt like they had no options or they'd make the mistake and go to the net person. The net person would come and poach it away or the striker would, would hit a winner. And, uh, you know, they, they did that all the time. And I believe in Will's, uh, course they always called it they love to pinch the middle yeah 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 they're they're incredible and uh definitely miss them on tour let's see so um we have jude yes uh donald feeling your feet during the point works too i like it definitely focusing on footwork during during points is uh is great um tom uh, about getting juniors to be more intense, we heard Rick Macy, the great ones are wired differently. That's, that is very true. Um, and then Mark, as a fit 55-year-old who never learned to jump on his serve while uh, I was a junior, how important is it that I do it now that I'm getting back into tennis? I have a decent no-jump serve now. What do you think about that, Pete? I have a big, uh, I have a big philosophy on that. Excellent. I compare it to basketball. So how do you know when you're ready to jump, okay? And, and how do you know that jumping will be better and make the serve? I've been lost. Can you hear me? Are you, yeah, you're back. You're good. Okay. So when you first start playing basketball, probably the easiest way to make a layup is to literally just stand by the basket and shoot off the backboard and, and put it in. That's probably easiest. The next thing is to do like a one skip, jump and lay it in. And then the final thing is to dunk the ball, right? So for LeBron James, the highest percentage for him to do is to jump up and just dunk it in the basket. He's going to make that 100% of the time, you know. Um, he could lose his focus and miss, you know, a layup where he's just, it's probably harder for him to stand, keep both feet on the ground and put in the basket, but he probably can do that. Also, though, I bet you he learned in that exact order. I bet you LeBron first learned to stay on the ground, put in the basket, then do a little skip jump, and then he probably worked a long time on the dunk. Almost all kids, because I was friends with a lot of people on the basketball team when I was growing up, they almost all worked so hard, and they you know, would all ask, I got my dunk, I almost dunked. Like, so think about that in tennis. You, know, you probably should first develop really great fundamentals on the ground, then you can step through, like bring the other leg around, and then you can work on your jump. And you have to then be honest with yourself and ask yourself, you know, is when I jump in the air, do I feel the same control as when I'm on the ground? LeBron James feels the same control in the air dunking as he feels on the ground. When I serve, I do feel the same control jumping as I do on the ground. But I know a lot of my students don't. When they leave the ground, all their body controls goes off. So those students should be staying on the ground and keep working on the jump if they definitely want to get it at some point. But they're not ready to use it in the match. Hopefully that helps. Definitely, definitely helps, I think. it's uh, a great one. Thanks, Pete. Let's see. Uh, my twin boys, uh, twin 16-year-old boys, one is lefty, another is right-handed. What is the best position for them? 
Doubles wise, you mean? Yes. Almost all lefties want to return on the ad side. End of story. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Boom. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Let's let's keep going with the uh, the lessons here. <clears throat> so the next one uh, is a, a mental game lesson, uh, and I think actually Jorge also talked about this, but he said that playing great tennis means you must be in the present. And even though this is, you know, has some connection to the fifth tip, I wanted to bring it up because of what he's, how he explained it. And he said that a lot of the players who don't do as well uh, in the mental game arena, it's either because they're in the past or in the future when they're talking to themselves. So an example of the past is saying things like, you're a choker, you suck, things like that. It means that you're thinking about the past, you know, what has gone on and mistakes and all that. And then other players are in the future uh, and they're nervous and, and they're thinking thoughts like, if I win, I'll be happy or just get this game and then blah, blah, blah. But the optimal place to be is in the present. Uh, and when you're in the present, then you're focused and you're planning. So language that you... D- talk to the way you talk to yourself when you're in the present is you say things like all right surf to his backhand on this point or come in on the next short ball or let's get this return deep and down the middle uh, that's where you want to be so whenever you're playing and you f- feel yourself talking to yourself in, you know in this past or future voice you need to flip the switch as rick macy says actually and uh Get yourself talking in that sort of planning manner where you're in the present and you're talking about your next moves. This is the ideal state that you need to be in. So I just want you to be aware of that lesson and to catch yourself when you're not uh, staying in the present. So any thoughts on that, Pete? Well, uh, we kind of already kind of covered it with, you know, the rituals are a great way to stay in the present. And I think that's what Rafa does so well is he relies on those rituals to forget about the past point to not be thinking about the future point. All he's thinking about is like literally tugging on his shorts or put pulling his hair or doing a certain walk or placing his water bottles. And it reminds me of a saying that Bill Jackson, who coached the Chicago bulls and the Lakers, uh, you know, he had dynasties with both of them. And when he was with the, with the Chicago bulls, he created a saying for the team chop wood carry water he was like a big he's big uh history buff of indian culture and basically meant like you know there's lots of things going on in your life you guys are all obvious superstars you know dennis rodman's going to las vegas every second you know and (laughs) michael jordan greatest player on the planet and like you know they have so many different stories it's easy for them to lose focus as a team but he says you know once you step through and you're on the court with us that's the only thing you can do. You know, you you can't be at a Vegas party. You can't be doing, you can't be signing autographs. You're not at a press conference. You're on the basketball court. So it's like that mindset of when you're chopping wood, the only thing you're doing in the world is chopping wood. And that's the only thing you're focused on. And when you're carrying the water, that's all you're focused on is carrying the water. And uh, easier said than done, but we should all try and live by that. 100%, Pete, 100%. So let me get my next one in and we'll go back to the question. So the next lesson, uh, and this is, you know, something that I actually did not think was the case for a while, but, you know, after talking to uh, several coaches, I, I, I do think that this is um, correct. So uh, the lesson is that the slice serve is the best serve to learn first. And so a couple of reasons why is that uh, it's easier to learn 
this serve than the kick serve. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot tougher in, in, in my experience to learn the kick serve. Um, and then, you know, the slice serve is very effective because you can get your opponents way off the court. Uh, and then you can, you know, hit into the open court or wrong foot them. And you can also vary the height. So this is something that I didn't think about, you know, initially, cause I was thinking about how the kick serve, you know, it's such a safe serve, which is very true. But even with the slice serve, you don't necessarily have to be skimming the net every single time you can, um, you know, get some height on it. Uh, you know, it just depends how, how you strike it. And, um, you know, I, if you want to learn, you know, how to dominate with the slice serve, then you should definitely check out Peter's slice serve lesson. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just think that it's a simpler serve to learn for most people, simpler to execute and still gives you a lot of great advantages. So, you know, if you're maybe struggling to learn the second serve with the kick serve, um, maybe you just want to look towards seeing how you can do better with your slice serve and then later on, you know, going to the kick serve. So, you know, this is, it could be a little controversial. I don't know, but, um, what do you think about this take Pete? Well, obviously it's my video. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. <laughs> I agree 100% with myself. So, I mean, yeah, when you guys think about it logically, you got three serves. You got flat, kick, slice. You know, I mean, flat, of course, it's great to hit a bomb down the tee, you know, over 100 miles an hour, ace, nothing feels better than that. But can you do that consistently in a match? Obviously, no, you can't. The kick serve is a great serve to have, but I do think it definitely requires some athleticism, some flexibility, strong legs. I mean, I've seen some players who have a pretty good kick serve and they they don't have to do a big jump or they don't have to arch their back. I mean, I've seen it done. But for the most part, lots of times when you see somebody with a, a really good kick serve that really bounces and, and does something to you and gets off the court, most of the time they've got nice flexibility all in here in their chest and they're able to arch their back a little bit, even though you shouldn't be arching from your back. It's more about opening your chest. They've got a lot of racket head space, uh, head capability, and, and usually they jump. Um, with a slice serve, you, you literally can just throw the ball out to the side. It's, a, it's an easy toss, okay? So the toss isn't in a tough location. It doesn't have to go over your ball cap, and you don't have to be swinging like this. It's right here to the side. It's super easy, and you do not have to jump. You know, you, you can hit a great slice serve on the ground. It does not require a lot of athleticism. I would say the, the only thing it really requires that I think it's good, it helps is, is, is a fast release. You know, if you've got a fast release, even if you can just basically be here to here and be good doing that, you can get a lot of action on that ball no matter what level you are. And you can make that your first and second serve and you can hit it all over the box. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and Jude said Pete's slice serve was sick. So if you want to learn how to hit a sick slice serve, look at Pete's lesson. Yeah, well, I'll actually, I'll, yeah. So uh, let's see. Um, the next lesson is the definition of mental toughness is the ability to play normal in matches. And so this is a quick one, but basically a lot of players, they end up putting up too much pressure on themselves to play great in big matches. And, you know, when, when you do that, then that's a recipe for disaster most of the times. And what, what you end up doing is you, you just get too nervous and you don't play well at all. So, um, you should adjust that to tell yourself that, you know, I just want to be able to play normal and execute my game plan 
And when you do this, it relieves a lot of pressure on yourself and that'll help you to execute and play better. So um, that's a simple tip, but I think it's a really good one uh, to adjust your approach to, uh, you know, how well you want to play in matches. So, yeah. Absolutely. You know, that's another Jorge Capistanism. And, um, you know, when we think about matches we get juiced right so like i know every time that i am going to play a match it's like i want to play the greatest match ever you know like you get hyped for matches and so you have this expectation in your head that you're going to like tree you're going to be in the zone you're going to play unbelievable you're going to hit the best shots of your life and so to build that up as your goal you know come on it's not very realistic it might happen sometimes you know, I'm not saying don't get excited about playing your match, but it is a lot better of a mindset to go, okay, I'm going to go out there and, and I'm, if I can just play my normal game, that's going to be good enough. You know, like I'm, I'm my expectation is playing normal. It's to control what I can control. Uh, it's to really know my game and, and what shots work in different situations of the court and what shots I hit more effectively in my own style than somebody else's style. And, uh, you know, that's really just getting to know yourself as a player and, and knowing the right moments to use your stuff. Yeah, 100%, Pete. And just some really nice uh, comments about your Slicer presentation. So um, Lynn said, I love Pete's Slicer presentation. Uh, and Mark said, after watching Lynn. Pete's presentation on the versatility of the Slicer, my first serve percentage went way up in the match I played after watching that. Thank you. That's amazing. Don't you feel so good after hearing this? I Pete? do. I do. I do. Thank you guys. Yeah, mm. that's amazing. Um, and yeah, so great stuff. Um, oh, is it advantageous being a lefty to hit a slice serve from Jude? What Absolutely. Thinking? I'm not going to lie. Of course it is because you're going to the backhand. But, you know, uh, what I did point out in that same video was a lot of people will say, you know, a lot of righties just think, oh, you're so lucky you're a lefty. You know, like we kind of own the slice serve. Not true at all. I love to point out that match, great classic match between um, Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic. Every big point on the deuce side, they almost always went out to wide. And think about that. Think about the advantage you have as a righty serving to another righty. You get to pull them off the court for their strongest shot. You get to make them stretch on their forehand rather than being in the sweet spot and crush it. So if you have a good righty uh, slice, you can make them stretch on their weapon, and then you've got a whole wide open court to do what? To attack their backhand. Lefties, you could look at it as a disadvantage in a little bit of a way. So if you're playing somebody with an awesome forehand, you get to, yes, you get to go after their weakness, but then you've got to go attack their strength. As a righty, you get to attack their strength, but make them stretch on their strength, get a weak reply from their strength, and then go attack their weakness. So I don't want to hear this any more whining from righties about lefties. Yeah, neither do I. Um, great stuff. Let's see. Uh, critical to have a game plan slash your strategy. That is very true. Um, let's see. Jamie, I do like to use my slice and kick serves as first serves. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a great way to go. A higher percentage. By the, by the way, Mark, tree is not still a thing because that's when I grew up what? playing. So that's what we said. Uh, I, I, <laughs> Did you I, get, just, do you, I Uh-huh. Do you I say, say tree? 
Yeah, yeah, I still okay. say it. Okay, maybe it is still a thing. I'm going to ask the juniors if Treen is a thing tomorrow, and I guarantee you no one's ever heard of it. Yeah, but yes, juniors. We used to say it all the time. Yeah, yeah. You're Treen sure. right now. <laughs> yeah, me too, me too. Um, cool, cool. So let me go to the next one. Um, yeah, for sure, Becky. Definitely appreciate you, you attending. Um, let's see. So the next one that I have is... Um, Oh yeah, so I really like this one. Uh, this is from Louis as well. So Louis Kaye in doubles, uh, never hit to the forehand twice. I thought this was a very simple tip, but it's a really good one because I mean, on a you know vast majority of players, their backhands are weaker than their forehands, and so you know you're just gonna get much tougher volleys. Uh, ima- imagine hit, like playing somebody like Jack Sock, for example. You you know, you hit to the forehand, they're going to just destroy it at you versus the backhand. You know, it's much easier to handle. So a very simple tip, but I really like it. And um, just thought I'd bring it up for you all. That's a good lesson. Good, good piece of advice. Nice, straightforward tip. I like it. Yeah, yeah. And a, and a bonus tip. I was so impressed by uh, Satoshi Ochi. And, and you know, he, he mentioned that Dartfish... Oh my gosh! <laughs> no, no, that's I a different help, guy. Couldn't help, I couldn't help the joke. I couldn't help the joke. That, I know, I know. It's the same, like basically, you know, similar, uh, same first name, I think. But um, yeah, you know, uh, Pete and I talk a little bit of crypto here and there. But yeah, so th- basically, they, they, there's a, a Dartfish.tv strength and conditioning. If you go to that page, incredible, like over 200 videos of exercises that you can check out. Um, it's amazing. And that's just a little bonus tip. If you're trying to construct a routine, I thought that was it's just a great resource. So those are my 10 plus one tips. And, uh, let's see, maybe I'll do a quick recap. Uh, what do you think? Do let's it. See. All right. Uh, yeah, I'll just blow this up. So do you see it full screen it now? I see it, but it needs to be bigger. Oh yeah. Way bigger. Be- oh yeah. Okay. Oh, wait, that's the wrong one. Sorry. Um, here we go. Is this better? That's better. Awesome. Yeah. So these are the top 10 lessons from Tennis Summit 2021. Number one, level up your match play with pressure drills. Number two, first four shots are the key. Number three, make your workout specific to tennis. Number four, take the least amount of steps to get to the ball, and then you can make adjustment steps. Number five is have a physical or have physical routines in between points. Number six is the British double system is about making the opponents lose by creating pressure and making mistakes. So use it as your own system. (laughs) Uh, Number seven is you must stay in the present to play well. Number eight is the slice serve is the best one to learn first. Number nine is your goal is to play normal, not great in important matches. And number 10 is in doubles, never hit to the forehand twice. All right. I really hope you enjoyed that recap of the top 10 lessons from Tennis Summit 2021. And if for whatever reason you couldn't join this time around, really hope you join us next year for the summit. And I'd like to leave you with a quote, as I often love to do at the end of the show. And this one is by Henry Ford. And Henry said, One of the greatest discoveries a person makes is to find they can do what they were afraid they couldn't do. Amazing quote. Uh, Love that. And yeah, just uh, really appreciate you tuning in and would also really appreciate it if you would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast. Just hit that big juicy subscribe button on your podcast app of choice and the episodes will be downloaded immediately upon me releasing them. 
if you're subscribed as opposed to you having to search for them manually and, and downloading them and all that jazz. All right. Well, really hope you enjoy this one. And again, uh, pick one or two of the lessons that I went through today for you on the podcast and then set up a plan and block some time on your calendar to work on it consistently weekly. All right. Have a great one. Be safe. Be well. And I'm really excited to have a lot more time now to play some more tennis. I'm going to be playing uh, in some social events uh, as well as uh, a league as well. So that'll be great. So Alrighty then, take care, have a great one, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.